Hi, my name's Joseph Wade, and I made a podcast about a movie about a bunch of people from Virgil, Texas. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans come together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of your favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. I am six foot three and have a consistent panda bear shape. Uh, <laughs> here with me tonight is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what's going on? I am uh, podcasting tonight from my bed, which I have not gotten out of. <laughs> Six years. It's a match made in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the podcast is, is going to be very strange, I think. But wonderfully so. Wonderful. So what are we so. doing tonight? Tonight we are discussing the 1986 uh, David Byrne film, True Stories, which I almost called a Talking Heads film. It kind of is, but it mostly isn't. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk a lot about that. Mm-hmm. Talking heads in name only, but it is truly David Byrne. So before we talk about that, though, there's a couple of things we need to get off the table. Um, first of all, there's the poll from last week's episode about Empire Records, <laughs> which I feel like the I think the episode landed with a, th- with a thud when everybody listened to it and realized, oh, they hate it. They hate Aww. Empire Records. Sorry. Whoops, y'all. Hey, it's Our not bad. the 90s anymore. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of you guys because I wore my uh, Forever 21 empire records skirt the other day oh yeah it's it's still 1995 in our hearts deep deep in our hearts uh so the poll for the empire Records soundtrack what was the best song on the empire Records soundtrack uh with three and a half percent i don't want to live today by the ape hangers uh with 63 percent, we could we kind of saw this one coming the gin blossoms until i hear it from you featuring libby on tambourine no, that's correct uh, and then uh, Edwin Collins with A Girl Like You had 33%. And then Liar by the Cranberries, A Big Fat Goose Egg. Really? Oh, you people. I feel, if I had known it was going to get no votes, I would have voted for it. Oh, and Liar like, is so good, too. Help it out, you know? Yeah. You guys are disrespecting the Cranberries. I know. What a shame. Shame on you. Just like we disrespected Empire Records. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So I guess, you know. Yeah, Turnabout's fair play. Turnabout is fair play. So look out for our next poll on True Stories after this episode goes out. Uh, We usually put it out the weekend after, so keep an eye on us on Twitter at OST Party. Vote for your favorites. Retweet. Yes, please, and thank you. Second item of business. We do want to take a moment and uh, mourn the passing of one Jim Steinman. The one and only Jim Steinman. Yes. Kind of an underdog fave on this podcast, as as we've recently discovered. It's funny because I was thinking back to our episode on on Streets of Fire and we tried so hard not to get swept away by it and we were so cynical and now it's quite frankly our favorite thing in the whole world. Like Nowhere Fast is one of those songs I will listen to and then be like, I didn't listen to that deep enough and listen to it again. (laughs) So, and of course, not to mention I'm holding out for a hero on Footloose. And we we really there really was no one quite like Jim Steinman. There was a man who just gave it 
gave it his all. So fly on wings of white gossamer and candle wax, you beautiful, beautiful man. Right, right off to that uh, great Harley store in the sky, you magnificent bastard. Yeah, one of my friends was like, did he die or did he merely turn into a dove and fly away? And I was like, that's actually a really good way to look at it. That's beautiful. That's yeah, beautiful. That really was. So anyway, true stories. Yes. No, Joe, this was your pick, uh, which I got to be honest, came sort of out of left field for everything I've, I've known about you. This was kind of a... a surprise pick so talk to me a little bit about uh how you came to this movie so i've been a talking heads fan kind of forever like i as a kid i just you know i watched vh1 obsessively i saw all their music videos at the time so like that's how i kind of first knew talking heads was just as a music video group mm-hmm. like and burning down the house on pop pop-up videos all the time burning Hell down the yeah. house once in a lifetime road to nowhere is like one of my all-time favorite songs so yeah nice i love it and then sort of as, I, as I've gotten older and grown up, I've actually started to get into the albums proper. So I've kind of slowly wormed my way through the Talking Heads catalog. And then True Stories is just kind of that last one that I never really picked up on until a few years ago when, okay, my here comes my film nerd sort of side coming out. The Criterion Collection put out a, a set of True Stories, the film. Mm-hmm. And so I picked it up because I said, hey, I'm a Talking Heads fan. I'm a John Goodman fan. And... I fell in love with it immediately. Yeah, it's it's an immensely charming and soothing film. It it sneaks up on you too because the first time I watched it I thought, "Okay, well that was cute." And then the second time I watched it, it like started to seep into my brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then we watched it for this, and now I'm just 100% like on board with true stories. Yeah, I feel actually the the same way cuz I had watched it I think I rented it from Netflix on disc. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was sort of like, okay. That, I don't think I was really prepared for it because so much of it is uh, a little episodic. There's a lot of non sequiturs. Like, it's just such an odd, it's, it's not what you think of as a film. Yeah. And so I, I maybe wasn't in the, the right headspace to receive it. Now, I know the True Stories album and I have my father's copy of it and... Several of my favorite Talking Heads songs come from this album. So it was a little weird hearing the other versions. That took some some getting used to, you know, like hearing John Goodman do people like us. But I in subsequent viewings, like you said, I've really I've really warmed up to it. And we'll we'll talk about some of those going forward. Yeah, and that's going to be interesting because, you know, you've heard the Talking Heads versions of these songs for so long, and then I came to this kind of fresh, so I really only know the film version of these songs. Mm-hmm. So we're going to come at these from kind of very opposite directions. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this one. This is a good one. Yeah. Uh, so guess what? There's Billboarding School. Oh, hell yeah, there better be. Yeah. Okay, so True Stories, the film, uh, came out October 10th, 1986. This is, this is the 35th anniversary of it this year oh wow yikes uh film uh was a pretty big bomb it grossed two and a half million at the box office i looked up like chart data it never charted on the box office charts never yikes then the album came out the talking heads true stories album so okay i have to talk about that now because there was apparently originally supposed to be an entire trilogy of albums associated with this film 
there huh. was a, yeah there was or i guess just the two there was supposed to be the album of the songs from the movie mm-hmm. performed by the art the performers in the movie mm-hmm. that never materialized the second not album, until very recently. Yeah, not until literally like three years ago. <laughs> yeah, and I actually reviewed it. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh, nice. Well, so. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yes, please. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but then the second album that came, or the first album that came out was the band's album, which is the one I have chart data for. The uh-huh. second one was, I guess you could call it a soundtrack. It was sort of an album of all the instrumental tracks from the film called Sounds of True Stories. Mm-hmm. And that never charted. When this one, this new one came out, never charted either because it's 2018 and who cares? So now let's talk about the Talking Heads album. It debuted on the charts October 4th, 1986 at number 136. So the number one album that week was Lionel Richie's Dancing on the Ceiling. <laughs> okay. Because of course it was. Uh, the top soundtrack at number two was Top Gun. Remember, <sighs> this was the summer of Top Gun. And this is October. Yes. yes. Oh, geez, Top Gun. Other albums that charted higher than True Stories this week with Madonna's True Blue. Okay. Cindy Lauper's True Colors. Okay. And Banana Rama's True Confessions. Very nice. I'm sensing a pattern here. Yeah, a little, a little <laughs> bit of a theme. <laughs> this album uh, lasted on the charts for 30 straight weeks, peaked at number 17 for three weeks, so it hung around for a good long yeah. while. Number one album the week that it fell off the charts in April of 87 was U2's The Joshua Tree. Very nice. That was a recent record Saturday play. I remember that, yeah. And then the top soundtrack at number 12 was Prince's Sign of the Times. Okay. So that's another one. I mean, we, we kind of go back and forth on whether we should do soundtracks on based on single artists. And Prince is one that we might have to get into at some point. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's a discussion for another day. Yes. So then the film. Where on earth do we start with the film? Well, the film uh, sort of came to being. So uh, Stephen Tobolowski talks about how he had met David Byrne and uh, Jonathan Demme after a screening of Stop Making Sense, which is the, the concert film. And he went back to David Byrne's apartment and David Byrne showed him all of these drawings that he had put up on the wall and this scrapbook of clippings he had from tabloids that he collected while the band was on tour and thought about, you know, talked about how he wanted to make a movie based on, you know, whether all of these things were, were true and sort of center it around uh, this, this fictional town of Virgil, Texas. And so he went and wrote this, this screenplay Brought it back to David Byrne, who then rewrote it entirely, but kept his name on it so that it wouldn't look like a vanity project. Of course. Yeah. So that's just kind of that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd love I, to I, see what like what the original script looked like. Yeah. And I, I think um, I think Tobolowsky said like the only thing David Byrne actually kept was like the framing device of the uh, 150th anniversary celebration in the film. Of specialness. Yeah, of specialness. Yes. So he he had all these stories in place already, and then Tobolowski sort of wrapped it wrapped around it an actual structure, and David Byrne kept that and then nothing else. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that does make sense. I like that. Yeah. So, but and uh, then worked worked in some musical numbers. Yeah, and 
this was also kind of this was the point, I guess, of no return for Talking Heads, because this was kind of the point where David Byrne sort of became David Byrne. <laughs> and yes, af- after stop putting making it mildly, yes, s- putting it very mildly. But like after Stop Making Sense, after he became the guy in the big suit, I guess everybody decided that he was the guy and that mm-hmm. he had like free reign to do whatever he wanted and then fuck the band. So he made he makes this movie and then kind of drags the band along and says, hey, you're making songs for my movie. <laughs> and they didn't cater too much to that. And that was sort of the beginning of the end for the band. Yeah. Um, but mean, like yeah. like all good band drama, I mean, the album True Stories is incredible. It, it really is. It's very good. And I mean, yeah. that, you, you hear so many stories about bands that kind of implode like this and the music's just terrible. Like you can tell that the band was having serious problems. But then, like, between two stories and then the last album, Naked, you know, it, the music is still great. They yeah, still, Naked Naked yeah. is one of my favorite Talking Heads albums. They still know, knew how to make great music together. And it's just a matter of egos and personalities that really mm-hmm. did him in. So with the, the soundtrack, I guess what we're going to do is we're going to basically go through and talk about uh, all of the actual... I don't want to call them actual songs because they're all actual songs. But the ones with lyrics, the ones that are, I guess ported over from the Talking Heads album. Those are the ones we can kind of really dig into. Mm-hmm. So we'll mention other things along the way, but this yeah, is very there's a, episodic. There's a handful of really spectacular instrumentals that, that we'll touch on. Yes. Uh, highly recommend you go and listen to uh, Songs from True Stories, as well as the the Talking Heads album. They're, they're both, you know, really, really wonderful. Mm-hmm. So. I guess I guess listening to all three one after the other, it, it kind of paints a whole portrait of sort of what the film was. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's as good a place as any to talk to talk about what the film was. So, True Stories tells the story of like a couple of days in the life of this fictional town, Virgil, Texas. David Byrne is our on-screen narrator, showing us around town, introducing us to you know the people around town. And we kind of just see it. it's a very slice of life kind of movie about a week in the life of a town. Yes. And especially as the landscape changes mm-hmm. and how things shift and move. And this, I, I think, especially felt good to watch and sort of made me think in part because we can't travel right now. True. And because I'm at an age where... So I think it will, we probably both are, where we've seen that shift away from the spaces we knew, mm-hmm. and things are changing, landscapes are physically changing, and as he reflects upon that, I uh, I don't know, it sort of it it touched me, and we'll we'll talk about that. There's a line that just like gutted me, and I was just like, oh man. So, but but we'll. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, there, there's certain moments where David Byrne kind of, he basically says the theme of the movie out loud, and it's like, oh, man, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> kind of accidentally, because like, you can mm-hmm. tell he's not, re- as a narrator and a performer, you're not really sure if he knows what he's doing on screen. <laughs> at any he's given very time. subtle, and he's very gentle and odd, but in not in an off-putting way. No, he's, and he's very warm, and you you want to you're riding alongside in his red Cadillac. Yeah, like, I would definitely have a go on a road trip with this David Byrne, character. thousand percent. But like, 
it was difficult for me to to sort of separate the character in the film from the person like is that David Byrne just how he is or is he actually like trying to put on a character it's hard well, to tell yeah having seen him do John Mulaney in the sack lunch bunch <laughs> yeah like that who he is in this is very much who he is in that like he's very sort of straightforward and honestly I think he's who Jonathan Richmond pretends to be I could see that. Yeah. Nobody yeah. better shoot David Byrne while he's singing in a tree. <laughs> so I, I think maybe the best way to go through this is to just go through the songs because the film is so episodic that there's no sense in trying to explain the plot. Yeah. So um, we start, there's a, a pair, tracks one and two are mm-hmm. um, Road Song and Freeway Sun. Now, Road Song is... An interesting way to start off because it, it really sounds to me like David Byrne was listening to Philip Glass and just trying to ape that sound. Yeah, and what I don't love about that is it seems to be the start of a horror movie. Yeah. Which it's... this is decidedly not. You see the film opens with what you think is an older woman, like a not older woman, probably a woman my age. An adult. An adult lady walking towards you and like humming in this sort of discordant way and it turns out it's a small child in white which is something you never want to see because that always spells evil <laughs> david um, burns the conjuring sounds like an amazing yes. film well it's sort of this it kind of reminded me of twin peaks i got that vibe too yeah like it was slightly sinister and it's but- like yeah. But at the same time, like, and we can talk about that if we want, but like the difference between the two, I feel like David Byrne's view of the world is, is a lot more optimistic than David Lynch's. Agreed. Like, like, like 1000%. But also that's Burns, I guess, is the, is the world I want to live in more. <laughs> Agreed. And so the, for Road Song, that was why it, it seems so out of place, especially when you go right into uh, Freeway Song. Yes. Which and is for- just such a a light sort of it ha- it has that like driving sound. Yeah, and there's just it's some there's just something very like calming, especially after the last song where it's just like this is just like driving lounge music. Yeah, and it's it's got like it's light, it's a little dusty. Um it's very warm sounding. And mm-hmm. actually, you know what? Let's let's play them side by side. We'll do um you know, road song and then uh, Freeway Sun. You could see that uh, Freeway Sun is much more the aesthetic of the film we're going to be watching, mm-hmm. not whatever other film he wrote Road Song for. It's almost like um, David Byrne is coming into town from some other film that he was just in that was a horror movie. <laughs> he's just escaped. <laughs> he's just now he's, he's like transitioning Texas. into something more pleasant and comedic. <laughs> like I want to see, yeah, true story is the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> now that movie's just called Psycho Killer, right? Yeah. See. There. Yeah. There. David Byrne, call us. We have ideas. Yeah, we have a lot of ideas. So yeah, this is, and that's kind of the best way to describe it. It's just pleasant. It it makes me feel good. 
it makes me feel like I want to drive around town and just look at stuff. Man, I got to say, though, like watching somebody take a road trip, real like FOMO. Oh, I know. I was just like, I got to get off my fucking couch. I just, oh, and I, I, I mean, we're thankfully, uh, as you're listening to this, uh, Joe and I are both now fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's great. Yes. And um, feels good, man. It does. But I still am not leaving my house to go on a road trip because I'm not an idiot. No, the best thing I can do is just drive around town. Yeah. And like on rainy days like today, driving around town listening to this is still genuinely very pleasant. Yeah. But it's funny because the first actual like song we get to is not the Talking Heads. No, it's not. It's Terry Allen and the Panhandle Mystery Band Cocktail Desperado. Let's go to a clip. Eyes behind a smile, big gold teeth, Dorados, ride doing style. And if you're not drunk or crazy, he'll still get you in between. Cause the devil is a chauffeur, honey, and loves his limousine. Now, at this point, we have met sort of the the main character of the film, played by John Goodman, Louis the Bear. And he is an affable chap, as many John Goodman characters are. He is just looking for love, and he goes to this cocktail bar, and this is playing in the background. Terry Allen's wife plays a woman who's known as The Liar. The, yeah, the lying woman. But yes. And she tells a series of increasingly fabulous tales throughout. And she's my favorite part of the movie. She's fantastic. Like the, the should... three or four like women that this film centers on are all fantastic. Yes. And actually, we should just put like, you should make a montage of her lies. Where she talks about like, yeah, her various celebrity conquests like Burt Reynolds and the real Rambo. Yes. Remember when I went out with Burt Reynolds? Shoot, he was going to quit the movies and come live with me. (laughs) I said, Burt, darling, I need all of your money. It's funny because Texas is full of these amazing country legends that the rest of us have never heard of but are huge down there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Terry Allen is one of them. He's a Texas icon. He's recorded with everybody. And... This one, to me, I got like a Mojo Nixon vibe off this. You're going to hate me when I tell you what I got off this. What? I, my notes, I wrote, it sounds like something between Randy Newman and Dixieland Jazz. I hate you. <laughs> You're not wrong, but I hate you. But no, this is this is kind of one of the reasons why I brought this film up to you, because I knew you being from Oklahoma, you might have some insight into like the world of this film and the music of you know texas in the midwest i absolutely do um not so much the the music of the the mid and southwest but um this it reminded me a little bit just um of actually jerry jeff walker who is an oneonta native and who just passed and again like they all of these dudes just like lived in texas and would just do like local shows and they were these huge icons that sort of the rest of the world doesn't necessarily pay attention to Right, yeah. So, um, which is is kind of fascinating to me to be able to sort of peer into this, uh, this this world here. 
And it, it's cool that like in, in making this film, you know, David Byrne and his team basically like invaded Texas and steeped themselves in like the culture and the artists. And they basically brought a number of them in to help him make sort of flesh out the world of the film to make it more exactly. authentic, I guess. Yes. Um, so, but this one, this is sort of playing in the background of the bar. Now, unlike something like Papa Legba, which we see later, it's not as present mm-hmm. in the film. This is, this is the, the background music. So we don't actually get to see Terry Allen. Right. And it's not as noticeable as some of the other uh, instrumentals we get along the way, but it's still pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like this one. But everybody congregates at the bar because it is, I'm not sure what you call it, but it's like karaoke night. Yeah, it seems like it's a live lip sync because you've got yeah. the band playing live and then you line up and you do a couple ver- like a couple lines at the, the mic. Yeah, and everybody takes turns and everybody has just a wonderful time. I kind of, when things open back up, I really want to find a place that does this. This is amazing, but the song they're singing is uh, Wild Wild Life. Yeah, let's listen. This is one of those songs I had known for years, never had any clue it was from this film. Yes, this is, ah, uh, it's tough. When I think of my favorite Talking Heads songs, this is up there. Mm-hmm. This is the one I think I listen to the most often. It's It was a big radio hit. And I it, remember I remember this one going all the way back to my childhood. My dad is a huge Talking Heads fan. Mm-hmm. And um, I maybe it's from the show Mapletown. There was a, a like wild wolf character, like a bad wolf, and my dad would sing this song as like you've got a wild wild wolf, <laughs> and I I do not remember the context for that, but that's my dad's been singing that lyric since I was a little girl. Um, but this is there is an accessibility about this music, like it sounds like a, a contemporary rock song as opposed to something like Psycho Killer or even like Once in a Lifetime. Right, but at the same time, it's not like identifiably an '80s like pop rock song. Either. No, no. It's um, a, yeah, it's a little more something a little bit more timeless about the way Talking Heads sort of made pop songs. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's absolutely Talking Heads, but it's not um, cross-eyed and painless. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some of their music can be like vastly inaccessible. Mm-hmm. But and this this could play on the radio and you could like rock out to this. You could hear this at the grocery store. I like I, I remember a time several years ago, my dad and I were at the beach and we went to a bar and they had one of those touch tunes, uh like jukebox things. Oh, those things are my favorite thing in the world. It's they're it's they're so easy to cheese and just like fart around with when nobody's mm-hmm. watching. Yep. But like I I, you know, put some money in and I started picking some songs and I played I think it was Burning Down the House. And my dad looked at me and he was like, do you know where we are, right? We're in a bar at the beach. This is way too nerdy for people mm-hmm. at a bar at the beach. But you probably could have played this and it would have lit the place up. It probably probably would have, yeah. Absolutely. So, so I picked the wrong song, I guess. Whatever. Yeah. As we uh, walked out the door, I hit Skrillex Bangarang and just like slow-mo walked out of an explosion. <laughs> you are a fucking monster. I am. I love it. No, we do that. Um, there's the bar Rudy's in New York. They've got one of those, and that is mentioned in the Steely Dan song, Black Cow. 
And so anytime we go to Rudy's, we just like load up the touch tunes with like 10 bucks worth of Steely Dan. It's like, no, you (laughs) motherfuckers are listening to Steely Dan. There's nothing you can do about it. You're in Rudy's. What did you expect? Oh, yeah. We did that. We did that with uh, Steely Dan a lot. And then Warren Zevon. (laughs) We've been known to like just fucking load up a jukebox with Warren Zevon. We're assholes. (laughs) This video and this scene in the film predates Weird Al's UHF, but does a couple of the same things. You've got um, somebody dressed like Billy Idol comes up and sings a few lines, or lip syncs a few lines. Uh, you have Prince. Yeah, yeah. You've got Meatloaf. I think. We're, we're not sure about that one, but I think it's Meatloaf. Yeah, I think it's supposed to. I think it's pretty obviously yeah. Meatloaf. There's a, you know, a real spangly country guy that's like not quite Elvis, but... There's David Byrne in like a weird uh, disguise. Yes, um, and there's a little girl who looks exactly like my niece Melody. Aw, I know it's so cute. The little girl in the green dress. And then mixed in this, you know, the other Talking Heads members in weird costumes. And then finally, John Goodman comes up, kind of halfway moonwalks to the mic and starts doing his thing. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Yes, this scene was plucked straight out of the film, and they just made that the music video. Mm-hmm. Like just no changes, no additions. Like boom, there it is, and it won a, a VMA for it. Like it should have. It's it's a great music video, and it's such a delightful scene. It is, it's, and I think in part because we all miss karaoke nights and things like that. Um, and just seeing people like out in a crowd, you're like, my heart. Just but so also, happy. yeah. But also, like this is this scene. It, this tells you this is not going to be a film where there are like people who hate each other or antagonists like everybody is in this together and they're all just here to have a good time yeah and nobody hogs the mic everybody sort of instinctively knows their turn <laughs> and everybody knows the words of the song well yeah it's great. i mean yeah, i don't even know all the words of the song because nobody knows all the words to any talking head song i looked them up i still don't know the words of the song <laughs> all i know is that if you go to genius.com and look up while wildlife, you will be greeted by an MS Paint picture of Elvis flying on an, a potato, and it's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that you sent that to me, and it delighted me for days. It's like I, I really did. I just wanted to know what the hell he was talking about, and instead, Elvis on a potato. Okay, it's fall apart. It's scientific. That's right. Um, I played this at a '80s party I threw one time, and it came to it. It was an odd choice, but people really liked it. You could really dance to this one. Yeah, this is a like a good groove, groove going. Yeah, I could uh, dig on this. But we're also introduced to uh, the woman who never gets out of bed. <laughs> yes. So the lazy woman, the lazy woman, called. played by Swoozy Kurtz. Who, yes, I, I feel like she's been she's one of those actresses who kind of just turned into a big sitcom person. Like she starts showing up in sitcoms forever mm-hmm. after this. But she's just like so rich, she never has to get out of bed, and she has like a robot that will turn magazine pages for her and feed her and feed her, and like she has like a live-in butler who is a completely different character. We'll get to in a moment. Mm-hmm. And she uh, has this amazing rant about like hot dogs and hot dog buns. It's the same all over. Bunch of maniacs out there. Woo! You know how hot dogs come 10 to a pack and buns in packs of 8 or 12? You gotta buy 9 packs to make them all match up. That's what I'm talking about. 
then we're whisked off to the the magical uh, future landscape of the mall. Yes. Now, uh, this was filmed at the Big Town Mall, which was the first indoor mall, as they called it, in the Southwest. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, it was demolished in 2006. Oh, that's a shame. Because I was, it- I was like, that's a real mall. I should go to it. And they're like, oh, yeah, it was demolished. I'm like, motherfucker. And it's real jarring now. Like, the march of time fucks us all up. But, like, he goes to the mall and he says, like, this, you know, this mall has replaced the town square in many American cities. This is where people come to come to shop all the time. And like, man, it really is 35 years later, huh? It really is. And now, you know, shopping malls sit empty or they try to rebrand them as lifestyle centers and they've got comedy clubs and spas and that nobody goes to. Um, And one of the things that, this film really sort of touched on for me is I spent my summers in Oklahoma City, where my grandmother lives. And of course, I'd go to the mall there. And there's something about like a a mall in the Southwest. I think I feel like they're more open, at least than the malls out here. Like there's a lot more light and like the architecture's bigger and it's yeah. more like monolithic, it feels more I guess. open and spacious. Yeah, yeah. And for instance, the Quail Springs Mall, which is still standing, the floor plan is more open, so you can look much more down into, say, the food court, mm-hmm. and you—it's not strictly like two floors, and you—you you can only see the people underneath you. Does that make sense? Yeah, you don't, I, I you don't know what just you mean. see the hallway portion of it. Right, you see kind of the full swath of shops and people and stuff yeah and it's yeah. kind of nice and they have you know like a clear elevator and it's just like oh I, and i i'm nostalgic for it and it's funny because i went back there i was back last time i was in oklahoma was 2018 i think and i went back and because I, I you know did like all my school clothes shopping and everything there as a teenager right and so i'm walking around this mall and most of the stores are gone that, you know, I would have shopped out of the Sanrio store. And, but they're playing music from when I was a teenager because Ooh. we're, we've hit that cycle, that 20 mm-hmm. year cycle. Yeah. And it gave me just this incredibly deep nostalgic pain that resurfaced when I watched this movie. Like, not, and it, it wasn't a bad thing, but it was just like being very aware of the passage of time and, the the confluence of space. I don't know if that's like, yeah. Yeah, it's like a real, really weird, like Twilight Zone kind of feeling. Where yeah, like I'm simultaneously sixteen and thirty six. Right, like you you can feel Goodness. yourself reverting back to that mind space or that headspace, but you can still realize you realize like no, I'm a thirty four year old man, and I I cannot be in the Suncoast video store anymore because a it's not there, and b it's twenty twenty one. Yeah, or like, I'm like, oh, I should, like, you know, like, I'm seeing the clothes that I wanted when I was 16, you know, crop tops and things like that, and I'm simultaneously like, I can't buy that because my mom will get mad at me, and I can't (laughs) buy that because I'm a 36-year-old woman with a job, and where am I going to wear a crop top? Yeah, yeah. Like, what, am I going to show up to work in that? So, uh, it was it was very jarring, but also 
watching this sequence, I think, made me kinder towards that. <laughs> the shopping mall has replaced the town square as the center of many American cities. Shopping itself has become the activity that brings people together. And here, the music's always playing. What time is it? No time to look back. They present this mall like it's an amazing like thing, and it's just gone now. But then, yeah. you know, David Burns walking through the mall, and he's talking to us about you know how it's the 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 new like watering hole greeting place. And then Lewis comes walking up, and he shows David his new like Adidas sneakers, and they look exactly the same as sneakers today. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like a fucking time warp. Like, okay, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Yeezys. It's bizarre. Yeah, and the way that this that David Burns narrator talks about the mall, like he recognizes that it has taken from the American Main Street, but he approaches that a sort of academically, mm-hmm. not with any emotion. He recognizes that that is a fact that the J.C. Penney is no longer on Main Street, that it is at the mall, but recognizing that life moves ever forward this is where we are now and people are still together they are still gathering here right and he's doing that through the entire film too like he Mm -hmm. starts off the film by saying you know dinosaurs used to live here and then in you know the native tribes used to live here and then the white people took over and now we're here let's move forward yeah and that's kind of all he has to say about it and it's very straight down the middle apolitical and then he's like well this is how it is this is where we are yeah and this is we can we can still embrace that right but then during all of this we we hear what is essentially mall music and that's the title of the track yes by uh composer carl finch yes and it's a lot of like casio keyboard beeps and boobs and a little bit of like uh i'm not sure what you call it like the tex-mex kind of sound of music Ever so Remind slight me. mariachi. Uh, uh, so, yeah, slightly mariachi, but then done through like a Casio keyboard. And I I came up with a word to describe this. Okay. And that is uh, kaleopoetic. Ooh, that's good. Because it it so accurately reflects what a mall sounds like. It is absolutely... it's sonic painting it is bright and inoffensive it's sort of thick with an artificial pleasure and it sounds a little bit like a a calliope but not enough to be like oh there's a merry-go-round present so it creates a feeling of joy of childlike joy Right, it's a Calliope place. Poetic. It's a that's a good word. Literally. It's a place that is, if nothing else, for entertainment. Yes, um, and it changes tempo at the midpoint to become a little bit more of like a frantic sort of carnival, and again, not to create tension, but just to switch things up a little bit on the the midway of right. the mall. Yeah. Um, so and that's kind of that's kind of what happens when you walk from store to store. You you get different moods and atmospheres very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like I did this, take note yeah. of uh, the gap was there. I um, didn't see the gap. I noticed the Walden books, which was a big one for me. 
Yes. Uh, I didn't see the Walden books. There's a Foot Locker mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a Kinney Shoes. Um, my mom at one point worked at Kinney Shoes, and that was that's my mom's maiden name. No relation. And I worked at The Gap. Oh, cool. For four weeks. It was terrible. Huh. Okay. As, yeah. Not cool. Well, I mean, it was terrible because, like, the pay was bad, and it was folding shirts. I never had anything bad happen to me, except for the fact that um, I had to listen to KT Tunstall's uh, Black Horse at a Cherry Tree. A fucking mm-hmm. constant rotation. Oh, no. <laughs> On the other hand, I also learned, that's where I first heard Michael Penn's No Myth, and once every 40 minutes, I would get to hear Joe Jackson stepping out. Okay. So, good music at The Gap, with a few exceptions. So, Libby Libby actually worked at Shirt Folding Store as a teen girl. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a teen girl as a girl in her 20s. Oh, okay, fine. Okay. Arrowed. <laughs> All right. So, but uh, David and Lewis are at the mall because there is about to be a fashion show in the in the in the middle court of the mall, and this fashion show is fantastic. It's a lot. <laughs> it's indeed a lot. Uh, it's per- it's put on by it's Kay Culver. Yeah, it's played by Anne McEnroe. Right. And who she, I knew I recognized she was Jane in Beetlejuice. <gasps> You're right. Mm-hmm. I could not place her, but that's definitely it. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> but she her character is 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 the wife of the town mayor. I guess the town's first lady. I don't yes. know how I don't know how mayorships yeah. work, but yeah. Um and she is hosting the talent not the talent show. She's hosting the fashion show and she sings a song during it. And it's the next song on our soundtrack. It's Dream Operator. Let's go to a clip. Yeah, let's do it. And it's funny because this is actually my preferred version of this song. Yeah, I love this. I really oh. do. It's uh, it's funny though because like the first thing that comes out on this is um the gray suits which David Byrne brought back for American Utopia. Yeah, yeah, he he's did. big on the gray suits. Not the oh, big I'm... suits, but the gray ones. Yeah. So and then the fashions get like progressively weirder and weirder and weirder it, to the point where there's like a whole family wearing nothing but like suits made of grass, mm-hmm. and apparently those suits were in fact like made of like grass. Because they, they found a a, uh, a fashion designer who did that, and they wanted to they wanted to ape his style, and he found out about it. And he said, "No, if you want to do this, let me do this because I can do this properly." Yeah, so he actually that's like wild. grew patches of grass and fashioned them into suits for the film, and they're only in it for like five seconds, and they're gone. Mm-hmm. But that's like the attention to detail is so complete, and just again, like the David Byrne seeks out oddities, right? And it's sure. Why Just not? one more piece in this like ridiculous tableau. Yes, and one of the things I really love about Kay Culver is she looks like she has a fun mom energy, like she wants to sell John Mulaney a house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a dress made of grass. Could be a nursery. <laughs> but like some of the the costumes and outfits, there's like suits that are like brick building print. Mhm. Like there's a dress that's a Greek column. 
Yeah. It's amazing. And she sings Dream Operator is such a sweet song. And her voice is just so sweet with it. And and yet there was a line in this song that like completely fucked me up until I found looked up the line and realized I'd gotten it wrong and was fucked up for no reason. Because she sings the line, you wish you were me, I wish I was you. Mm-hmm. What I heard was, you wish you were me, I wish I was too. Whoa. And I had to pause the movie and just go, oh my God, I know what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like so, it's like a huge like imposter syndrome kind of feeling. <laughs> Which is not what the song's about at all, but I had to go look it up and go just to make sure. And I realized my mistake and went, oh, oh, thank God. <laughs> No, there's other Talking Head songs that'll fuck you up. It's weird. Um, like, Houses in Motion, mm-hmm. for some reason, really unsettles me. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. I can't, like, I can't tell you why, except that I think my dad played that tape a lot when he and my mom got divorced. So, like, maybe I associate it with my parents getting divorced. Like, I don't think it's anything that deep. Right. But that song makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> and I cannot tell you why. So, there's always, I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been surprised if that was a Talking Heads line because they know, as we saw with um, with Road Song, they know how to make you uncomfortable if they want you to. Right. But like you'll you're never able to quite pinpoint why. But like to make they know how to make you feel uncomfortable, but to make you feel like you did it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and like not that it's their intention. Yeah, like stop hitting yourself. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. The, oh God. I <laughs> <laughs> see. I'm just now picturing. Um, once in a lifetime, and instead of same as it ever was, he's just screaming, stop hitting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but the, the fashion show gets progressively more and more ridiculous until, like, the last couple of um, models are just wearing gigantic models, sculptures on their heads. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cute woman, who we've met a couple times so far, is wearing this, like, huge dress with a giant, like, sculpture of a heart on her head. And it's so big that she just falls off the stage. And that's the end of the scene. <laughs> so, but this is referenced uh, in the next scene at, uh, at dinner. He goes to, our narrator is invited to dinner at the Culver household. Yes. And she's, uh, her and her husband have not spoken directly to each other in many years. Uh, her husband, of course, played by the late Spalding Gray. Mm-hmm. And uh, she mentions that there was one small accident, but everyone had a good time. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, uh, David Byrne is there to corroborate the story and says, yeah, I was there. <laughs> and then and uh, Earl looks at him and goes, like, like he looks at David Byrne and, like, he kind of can't believe this man is in, the, is in his house almost. Well, and also that someone is speaking directly to him. Yeah, yeah. The, it, it, break, it sort of breaks the illusion of the entire family. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to explain, uh, this is over uh, dinner music, is the piece that's yes. playing. And he uh, starts talking about uh, how, he, and he's explaining as he's orchestrating and illustrating with the the dinner there's a line that people won't see the difference between working and not working and that is a threat and i do not like it yes because what he's talking about is like 
engineers and computer programmers sort of reshaping the way that like the modern work culture is and man this is we work yeah and like this is the 80s and he's talking about this and now we're in 2021 where you know most people zoom into work nowadays from their house while they're wearing you know pajama pants oh boy that came true and it's terrifyingly so and it's it's sort of put forth as this great idea of productivity and efficiency but as we are actually living it it's anything but we're all exhausted and have anxiety disorders yeah and he says there's no concept of weekends anymore oh god and i hate this i hate this man for for putting that in the world um having worked a job that had no weekends for 11 years Mm -hmm. i now have weekends and like my husband and i went and looked at rugs this weekend and i could not have been happier (laughs) it's just like i have the space to do this and i know that even like if i sort of botched this weekend i got another one coming that's true and it's it's a, a great feeling now um this piece i can picture the scene but i've already forgotten the music this this one unlike mall music i feel like is a little forgettable yeah, it's just kind of meant to be a little dramatic while he's telling this horror story about the working world. <laughs> and I would have liked to have seen that more in lyrics, the way we hear like Radiohead or Papa Legba. Right, because you think there's a there's a big like song coming up and it just never happens. Yeah, it never gets going. Um and meanwhile, we see um Lewis on a date with the lying woman. At Brownies. And there's yeah. some music that plays there. It's sort of inconsequential. Uh, but he is still looking for love. Like, he just desperately is looking to find someone to love and to marry. Uh, and he's, he, he yeah. mentions that he's written a song and he's going to perform it at the talent show. Mm-hmm. And then she replies back by saying that she wrote Billie Jean and also half of Elvis's songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this woman... like. If, if even half of these things are true, she is an amazing person. Yeah, I think none of them are true, and I, I love her of, anyway. I know, I know none of them are true. Apparently, a lot of those uh, made-up things are just things that the actress kind of thought up on the spot. And that's just said, hey, hey, David Byrne, can I say this in the film? Yeah, that's awesome. Because they're, they're very funny, and they always just go a thousand weird places. And they're always, they're always delightful unexpected i love it yes because she's got another one coming up oh she's got a couple of good ones yeah um but then we then we go to church the church of the subgenius i don't entirely understand the church of the subgenius and i've been trying to for like 20 years yeah it's one of those things where it is either a parody or a cult yeah and it's kind of hard to tell which it is and like i i first found out about that some it must have been in high school and like some kid in high school was reading, you know, subgenius literature and he was trying to tell me about it. And I thought, OK, so you're making fun of religion. And the answer was to make up another religion. What's wrong with you? And it's weird because like David Byrne obviously is a, you know, a member. Right. But so is Stephen Colbert. Okay. Who is a, a you know, like he teaches Sunday school. Like he's a very very devout catholic but also right. but but also tori amos whose dad was a baptist minister and seems like she's like a white witch so i'm just like who has time for all of this yes this is it's a fucking lot 
Um, and like, how does it fit in with the flying spaghetti monster? And is it Q? <sighs> it's yes. just, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. So somebody please explain the church of the subgenius to us. Like, yeah, y'all know Bye. you can just like not do religion, right? That's a yeah. thing you can do. Yeah, you can find us if you want to explain it to us. You can find us uh, on Twitter at OST Party. <laughs> you can find find me on Sunday mornings burning in my backyard. <laughs> but um, we do get a great song here. Yeah, um, this this is "Puzzling Evidence" by uh, John Engel and uh, Tito Lariva is in here too. I think we who yeah. we haven't we haven't mentioned Tito Lariva yet, but he's one of the many characters kind of floating in and out of this film. Mm-hmm. He works at the uh, at the factory with John Goodman, and we actually hear uh, his song "Radiohead." He sings it a little bit to uh, to one of the women there, and yeah. he can read your tones. Yeah, and uh, he'll he'll sing it proper in a little bit, so we'll talk about mm-hmm. it then. But "Puzzling Evidence" is again, it's quite a lot. Now I am the gun, and you are the bullet. I got the power. With Puzzle and Evidence, I feel like this is the purest representation of the talking heads. Mm-hmm. This is them like distilled down, and it's not even one they sing. Right. Uh, but when you listen to this on the True Stories album, because again, it's it's a lot of non sequiturs and it just kind of it goes a lot of weird places musically. Um I feel like it's it's the one that is closest to what they were doing in the early days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and it's I guess it's it's sort of the bridge between something like people like us and then what you'd hear on naked and something more like on 77 right it's it's halfway yeah i'd say it's halfway between psycho killer and people like us yeah and the like a lot of the lyrics in this and basically half of the songs in this are basically ad copy but read sarcastically Mm -hmm. and that's really what puzzling evidence is because it's just like a screed about capitalism and credit cards and the man and banks and Man, just take a breath and have a cigarette or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, but this one, this one grew on me. Oh yeah, it's a fun song for sure. And I think it's it's not as good as uh, "Love for Sale," which is sort of the the flip side of it, mm-hmm. musically at least. Yeah, um, yeah. But I I have grown to love puzzle and evidence i think it was one of those that like it made me feel weird inside for a long time it's <laughs> it discordant you, it makes you feel uncomfortable to... about society not even that like i think it's just there's a, a certain discordant sound to it that like that puts me off mm-hmm. so um yeah but, but it's like it's like the theme song for like some wacko talk show you'd find at four in the morning on public access tv <laughs> and in, in that I can appreciate it. Yeah, now I want to watch that. Oh, hell yeah. So, uh, there was one, when I lived in New York, there was a, 
Manhattan Neighborhood Network, and it was a public access. And it was very much, I think, because there's also Channel One, and it was very Kroll show, kind of too much tuna would have been on it. And it was just the weirdest shit. The one thing I remember from that public access was the interplanetary rapper, (laughs) which was a dude in like a party city alien costume rapping. Oh, wow. And it has, Ian and I found it late night, like one o'clock in the morning one time, and it has lived in our house, in our head, and in our hearts ever since. (laughs) And you could, like, win a date with the interplanetary rapper. Uh, Whoa, hell yeah. Yeah, if you, like, sent a picture in to... Like, I, I think about him all the time. <laughs> See, that, that that makes me sad because, like, as long as I can... Rem- for as long as I can remember, Greensboro Public Access TV has just been, like, church slideshows of, like, this week's announcements. There's never any broadcasting on, never any, like, actual shows. It's just information. Yeah, uh, that's what most of them are like, but... Um, but I feel like I missed out on some really great, like, oddball TV, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm actually copying this and sending it to you over Twitter Living right in now. a boring-ass, you know, city like Greensboro, you don't get cool stuff like that. You don't get the interplanetary rapper? <sighs> no, no. But after this, we hear the next song on, our, on, on the soundtrack is Glass Operator, which is a beautiful little cover rendition of um, Dream Operator played by, like, Someone touching wine glasses, I think. Yeah, I love that kind of th- it's oh, that. It's really cool. It really you're is. Just like, like, how do you learn to do that? Like, how do you decide that that's what you want to do? And it's so neat. And like, I'm how fascinated. long must that take? You know? Yeah, I'm fascinated by sort of oddball instrumentals. Mm-hmm. And like, Tom Waits was always like building instruments, and I just yeah, think that's the yeah. coolest thing to be able to look at something and be like, "That's an instrument." Um. Or going back to, you know, David Byrne and uh, Sack Lunch Bunch, like Mr. Music. <laughs> yeah. A yogurt cup can be, or a pudding cup can be musical. <laughs> sure it can. <laughs> <laughs> While Glass Operator's playing, David is being toured around like a new housing development by um, Earl Culver. And Earl makes a very distressing observation when he says, like, you know, these are all, you know, single family homes and he says it's not worth having kids what with the end of the world coming up and all yes and it just like nothing comes of it he just yeah. mentions it very casually and moves on to the next like thing. no no stop what did you just say okay. sorry excuse me <laughs> yeah you can't just drop that in and now we're in 2021 and we're like okay so this is the end of the world oh it looks like this huh yeah. okay i wasn't prepared I wasn't planning on wearing sweatpants at the end of the world, but here we go. I was kind of hoping we were going to get a little more Fury Road, but sweatpants <laughs> the, it is. The end of the world is you wear sweatpants for a year straight and then you die. Yeah. But one of the things that really got me about this film, and he talks about it a couple times, is the expansion of Virgil mm-hmm. and how he talks about, you know, one day, he's, as he's driving at one point, he says, like, one day this will all be built up. And that reminds me, that hit me so hard because it reminds me of Oklahoma City and the village. And when I was growing up and we'd go down to see my grandmother in the village, you'd go up Ridgeview Drive towards sort of, um, maybe it might be May Avenue. I can never remember. And, but sort of the main drag and there'd be the mall and the blockbuster and, 
but you like round the corner past her church, Covenant Presbyterian, and there would be like an old uh, oil well that had been dormant forever. And then there'd be just like 30 acres of just fucking nothing. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay, you get past the fucking nothing. You're going to go by the old Walmart because they built the Walmart Supercenter further up. And then you turn right and you go past Ross and then you're at the mall. And when my husband and I were there in 2015 on our honeymoon, I was sort of like, okay, well, you're going to drive up. You're going to see a whole bunch of nothing in an old oil well. And then you're going to turn right. And and all of that had been built up. Oh, wow. It had become a retirement community. And it threw my whole fucking sense of everything off. Because at that for 30 years, it had been nothing. And then all of a sudden, and we get up onto the, the the main sort of drag and there's all these nail salons and now there's weed dispensaries in the village where my grandmother lives that's Whoa. weird yeah no kidding and she's like well it keeps people off the heroin and um yeah there's there's a whole bunch of nail salons and then there's a whataburger now which i wholly welcome but there's a new super target and all of that has been built up and built up and built up. And it has, it broke me in a way. And I recognize that like time and commerce moves forward, but one, who all is moving to Oklahoma City? What is wrong with you? Can you not go anyplace else? All those young urban professionals who absolutely have jobs here in Oklahoma City. And it's weird because, like, Oklahoma is a fucking trash fire of a state. And every time I think, like, it can't get worse, they're just like, we're banning women from moving here. Like, what the? Come on. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to slaughter the firstborn of it. Jesus Christ. Like, they're just like, they're, they're in competition to be the worst state. And I don't understand why. Why are you doing this to me? You have a Whataburger. Because you have Dr. Pepper Ices. Why are you keeping them from everybody? Because if I can't be the best, I sure as hell can be the worst. <laughs> I guess, because they're never going to be the fucking best in anything. It's nothing but scrub grass there. But like that, Oklahoma's that... a desolate hellhole. I love it, but it's like most things. Like Binghamton is also a desolate hellhole. It's a place in my heart. It, but, but that's happening like right here where I live, too. Like My neighborhood is... What like the one main road and then two little cul-de-sacs going off in either direction. And across the street, the one way, they're building like a giant like condo complex. Down the street, like half a mile, they're building an even bigger condo complex where there <laughs> used to just be like nothing but forest, nothing but trees. Nothing and but flowers. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like they're planning these to be like $300,000 homes. And I'm like, okay, who's going to buy them? Yeah. Who's going to move to the, the like the sticks of a you know America's 50th largest city to live in a $300,000 condo? Nobody. My my house doesn't even cost that much. No, that's wild. And I like I'm all for development, but it's like can we get some affordable housing maybe? Yeah. It's like what's so, what, you know what's what's wrong with affordable housing? Yeah. Um, it is. It's weird. My grandmother's neighborhood is very post-war. And actually, as they're driving around Virgil, like these little brick houses, when you're saying like sky and bricks, um, these little 
you know, I wonder who lives here. Those are exactly what the houses on my grandmother's mm-hmm. street look like. Exactly. And they, they, they warmed my heart. <laughs> Virgil looks a lot like the Oklahoma City that I knew as a, a teenager. Apparently, they shot a lot of this like in, around the outskirts of like Fort Worth. Yeah, and Dallas. And I want my sister to take me to um, uh, over there to like tour the areas. Yeah, go, go visit Virgil. Visit Virgil today. I will. Thank you. <laughs> Won't you? Thank you. <laughs> Won't you please? The big piece is coming up, and that's yeah. um, love for sale. This this plays on TV in the lazy woman's house as she's flipping channels and she's seeing all these commercials, and they all sort of merge into um, into love for sale. So let's go to a clip. In the film, I love that she's like constantly commenting on what it, everything she's seeing in the video. Yeah, she's sort of uh, Tom servoing it up. Yeah, she's like, "Oh, I love chocolate." Oh, <laughs> those don't point, work at all. Yeah, I think at one point she's like, "I think they're trying to sell me something." <laughs> How could you tell? Yeah, it's like the fourth verse. Uh, this is another one of my favorite Talking Heads songs because it's it's kind of grimy mm-hmm. and. And it's got like a much kind of harder edge. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that aspect of it. I think yeah. the lyrics are a little too, a little too uh, David Byrne trying to like turn ad copy into a wacky song. But See, I love that, and I think because I, I just I love an illusion. Oh, okay, yeah. So, but uh, this definitely very very MTV sound. A very very MTV look too. Yes. It's like, yeah, it's 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 like random commercial clips, real commercial clips, by the way, sort of intercut with mm-hmm. the band inserting themselves into commercials. Very uh, the who sell out. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't. I like the video way more than I like the song. I think I think it hits the nail on the head as far as that goes. Yeah. No, this but, is uh, just like this is one that I play a lot. Like rock out to. This is like <laughs> if I had a band, we would absolutely do love for sale. Right. My dad had a band. Uh, my dad's always played in bands, but um, sort of once, once we were teenagers, he was in a band called Five Zero, which is kind of like a dad bar band. And they played a couple Talking Head songs. I know they played, um, and she was. Mm-hmm. So I've been to like shows where my dad played like, and she was at like some bar for an audience of ten people. So, and I cannot tell you the amount of pride one has when they see their dad playing in a band. You're just oh, like, that's yeah, my I'll dad. That's my dad's my dad awesome. There. I know. I was like really happy. So oh, apparently like sweet. he's getting his high school band back together and they're going to like play at a reunion. Wow. I'm so proud of him. I hope they play Love for Sale. They should play Love for Sale. I think they're going to play like a bunch of like, uh... You said they were learning a couple songs by the birds. Like, oh. uh, okay. Yeah. Like, okay. Have you never boomer. heard of the Talking Heads, or is it because I stole all your Talking Heads records? <laughs> yeah, give them back. No. <laughs> For my cold dead hands. I um, late then after the video, she sees sort of a video dating profile for uh for Lewis. 
Yeah, he says he's look he's seeking matrimony with a capital M. I'm looking for someone who can accept me for what I am. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. And he says, I'm pleased with the way God made me. We stand a body positivity icon. Absolutely. So the other thing that fucked me up about this was like I realized I am the age that Lewis Fine is in this film. <laughs> And I'm also six foot two. I'm six foot two, not three, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. <laughs> That's adorable. I love it. Time travel is real, and I know because apparently I used it. <laughs> oh, but Lewis, we see Lewis talking to uh, the cute lady, mm-hmm. and he debuts. He gives us a few bars of people like us, which, to be fair, needs a little workshopping. Sure, sure. And she does not like it, and she says it's too sad. And I, my heart just breaks for him. That's her rejection, and he just kind of, like, quietly excuses himself. But he mentions that he does like sad songs. He says, I like sad songs. They make me want to lie on the floor. And as someone who is currently wearing a Morrissey hoodie, <laughs> I'm just like, wow, way to tell everyone my life story. Gee, I don't know what that feels like. <laughs> it's like, that's my whole life. I love sad songs. I love lying on the floor. I spent my entire teenage years, many of them summers in Oklahoma City, lying on the floor. <laughs> that's what the album Hatful of Hollow was made for. Spent a lot of time lying, on, lying in the dirt in Oklahoma City. <laughs> Just being like, nobody understands me. Everyone is horrid except for me and possibly you. Lying on the dirt in Oklahoma City it would be the, a great title for your autobiography. For my great country song. Lying on the dirt in Oklahoma City. Yep. Listening to sad songs and thinking of you. There. Wearing, your first Doc, wearing Doc Martens when it is 105 degrees. Yep. This yep. is America. This is America, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Soy de Tejas. A song that I tried to find the lyrics for because I hate to admit that I do not know a lot of Spanish and I wanted to know what the lyrics were. But this song and its lyrics just do not exist on the internet. Like I couldn't find a, the Spanish lyrics to the song to translate. Huh. And I hate that because I really would like to know what this song was about. Yes. And, wow. you know, it might it might be nothing more than because Soy de Tejas, I do know it means, you know, I'm from Texas. And it's it's Tito the Riva and um, Steve Jordan performing the song in the film, and it's it's a fun little song. It's the that uh, Tex Mex kind of sound, mm-hmm. and in this scene, Lewis is trying to get it, Lewis is in a bar trying to get Ramon's attention, and they're not letting him in until he pays a cover charge. <laughs> three dollars he's only gonna be there for a few minutes yeah and it's like nope gotta pay all the while this song's playing in the background (laughs) Mm -hmm. but the number he gets takes him to papa legba yes papa legba played by other than pop staples Mm -hmm. and again david byrne working in fellow musicians people that he admired contemporaries and you know really bringing a, a wide musical landscape to this film mm-hmm. which i appreciate yeah oh and, and, and sorry papa legba tells and he is uh the lazy woman's sort of uh housekeeper yes we mentioned him earlier yeah yes he tells him 
to drink three soda waters a day, drink half, throw the other half away, and think positive. So. Which just sound like sounds like good life advice for anybody. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about that like because I have things that I want in my life right now that I would like to manifest. And I'm like, huh. Stay hydrated, but not too hydrated. Yes. <laughs> drink drink one and a half LaCroix <laughs> and then stay positive. <laughs> That's honestly, they should just make a commercial of that. Mm-hmm. My husband loves those things. I'm a, I mean, <laughs> as we found out on our um, uh, Down With Love episode, I'm a bubbly man. You are a bubbly man. So Lewis goes to uh, Papa Legba and he asks him to perform a a voodoo ritual that will help him find love. Mm -hmm. That's to me. That's just so adorable. He's like literally trying anything. Yeah, he's he's really putting in the work to find love. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So um, but we'll come back to Papa Legba because we have our parade. Um, which is those are all like real groups like local high school marching bands and such Mm -hmm. which i think is great uh there's a lawnmower brigade (laughs) which brightens now i i don't know about where where you are but um up here we are so fucking big on parades we love them here in oneata we have like five a year i think the only parades we have are like the fourth of july parade and the christmas parade no, we have a Memorial Day parade. We have a Fourth of July parade. We have a Halloween parade. We have a Ooh. Christmas parade, and we have we used to have a New Year's Eve parade. A New Year's uh, Eve parade, not a New Year's Day parade. No, New Year's Eve because it would lead, it would sort of kick off first night. <gasps> oh, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. and my um. Uh, I do love parades, and my husband proposed to me in the middle of our. Uh, town's Halloween parade. That's sweet. Yeah, he had a big banner that said, "Will you marry me?" Oh. And um, his the teen center was walking a Grim Reaper puppet that he had built, and then it like unfurled this this banner. So all the teens were involved, and the high school marching band. And that's amazing. It was great. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, and then the next year, I mean, like. Everyone was there, obviously. Um, and the next year, we were invited to be the Grand Marshals of the New Year's Eve parade. Oh, cool. Yeah, we got to walk <laughs> in front of like our fucking congressman. Yeah. He was behind that. us. So, <laughs> take that, Chris Gibson. I'm more important than you. I mean, all I can contribute to parade chat is, you know, my company does a parade float in the Christmas parade every year. We, our company built this like or we bought an old sleigh and restored it oh. and the um one of the towns that we do the parade in liked the sleigh so much they said will you be the santa claus float in at the end of the parade <gasps> fuck yes we will that's awesome <laughs> so like the santa claus that they had hired was sat on our float that's very cool i want to see pictures i'll sh- i got some pictures i'll show them to you i'll yeah maybe post one in the uh, show notes we will but yeah, we love parades. Who doesn't love a parade? Yeah. Some people apparently don't, but I our our Christmas parade is like an hour long. Mm. Yeah, it's Christmas insane. parades are a big deal. But um yeah, the crazy the uh cute lady is like kissing all the babies in the parade. There's an accordion band. But did you notice at the end, like everyone seems kinda empty? 
Yeah, like the parade. Like there's that long shot of the parade, like leaving leaving town, and everybody just standing and watching. Yeah. It's like, oh well, then what what do we do now? Yeah. The parade's over. It's just it's kind of depressing, honestly. It is, especially when you consider like okay, so the big celebration is today. The parade's in the morning, and then like the concert doesn't happen until late at night across town in a field. What do we do with the rest of our day? Go to the mall. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I bet there's another fashion show at the mall. So, um, but here we sort of alternate between um, Papa Legba mm-hmm. starts ramping up, and uh, Tito finally gets to do uh, Radiohead. Let me tell you. So Tito's thing in this film is like his character claims that he can like read people's mind, like he can pick up their brain waves, their radio waves, Mm -hmm. and he writes a song to this effect. And like out of out of context of the film you kind of just get the idea that oh this might be a metaphor for like you know attraction or love or something but then in context with the film no he's being very literal he's serious yeah i i am a mutant with superpowers and (laughs) of course the band radiohead gets their name from this song uh i prefer the talking heads version of this, and I, I really want to like this version, and I think it, it really is just a matter of which I heard first. I think so, yeah, because like I heard this one, the film version first, and I prefer that one. Yeah, but- and I like I, I like this, and I it has a really good energy to it, but it just it. Ugh. It doesn't sound like Talking Heads to you, does it? Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things in my head where when I listen to the True Stories album. When I hear Radiohead, I actually, in my mind, think of the dinner song sequence. Huh. Okay. I can't quite explain it. So, uh, so maybe maybe that's it. But there's also um, a creepy puppet that eats corn on the cob. Yeah. That is deeply upsetting. Well, if we could find a gif of that, I think we'll be. I might have to just make one because that's a little... Def- too weird <laughs> yeah definitely alienate our listeners who we love so much but um meanwhile papa legba is also going on and he's doing his spell mm-hmm. and this is a fucking jam this is a, a whole mood this is yeah a super cool little track so it's just like a little bit of a grind but uh, i love the beat the beat of it too yeah it's just it's very funky it's very fun but a little again, like it's got kind of that that same grind that like Puzzle and Evidence has. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then we get to the big one, the big number. Uh, people like us performed by the Country Bachelors and Lewis Fine. about this version is that he sounds terrible it's kind of rough isn't it yeah yeah and he's it's way out of his range it's not polished but this isn't 
I think that makes it better, though. It does, because it's not that Hollywood sounds. He talks about like not liking like that Hollywood country, and they don't dub his vocals. They don't. They don't do anything. That's John Goodman singing his little heart out. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the honesty of that. And it's it's such a genuine little song where mm-hmm. he, he in the chorus he sings, you know, we don't want freedom, we don't want justice, we just want someone to love, which is so pure and so innocent. But you know, it, freedom and justice would be kind of nice too. Yeah, well, if, if we knew what that was, um, <laughs> but. This song was my dad and I's father-daughter dance at my wedding. Aww. And it was this version. I wanted the Talking Heads version, um, but uh, I know we talked about last week um, that I had pitched till I hear it from you, um, but we finally settled on uh, on people like us. That's sweet. Yeah. Um, I-, I love that like, we, we can connect the- each episode to the, the next somehow. Yeah. That's great. A, a good symmetry. <laughs> But, but uh this, this I, sorry this is one of this is definitely in, in my top 10 talking head songs i think about this song a lot mm-hmm. and yeah this is in the top my top two or three of on this album for sure yeah this is probably my f- second favorite on the album um it omits the second verse mm-hmm. there's a second verse on the um the album um it, it is kind of a sad song but a little bit yeah but it's not lay on the floor sad. It's like it's wistful. Right, right. So, uh, because the in the the bridge, the line about like God laughs at people like us, like ouch. <laughs> so. And that that kind of mirrors what uh, what the mayor says at the beginning of the of the concert, where he tells that joke about like people people who live in Texas. Mm-hmm. Which is a, a legitimate joke as someone from Oklahoma. I'm like, I feel that. Yeah, and I think I'll just go ahead and put that that, that joke in here because it's actually pretty good. <laughs> it seems though God was working around the earth here trying to make it beautiful just like the rest of the world. He he had to knock off because it was nighttime and he said, I'll come back tomorrow and make it just as pretty as the rest of the world with lakes and streams and mountains and trees. Then he got back the next day and he saw that the ground had completely hardened uh, like concrete and he, he didn't want to begin all over again, no. In, in his infinite wisdom, he had an idea he said i know what i'll do i'll make some people that like it this way it's a knee slapper um but the lazy <laughs> woman is so touched that she sort of gets out of bed well she immediately calls the concert stage to talk yes. to lewis and they long story short they get married mm-hmm. um and and, and uh, it's it's like the two of uh two of David Burns like tabloid stories coming together at the end because mm-hmm. the man looking for marriage and the lazy woman those were like two of the original like stories that inspired the film and like to bring them together at the end that's just kind of perfect sublime kind of sweet and I gotta say um considering how much space there is where this film sort of breathes and lets uh lets the themes sit with you it's a tight 90 minutes it really is it gets in and out and doesn't really overstay its welcome Mm-hmm. Because it would otherwise, if we had like the Snyder cut <laughs> of this, I don't know if I could do four hours of true stories. Yeah, like if 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 David Byrne had turned this into a TV series, I don't think it would have been as as uh, well remembered. No, but um, 
his last lines, he talks about, like, I really enjoyed forgetting. And the idea being that, like, once you get to know a place, you stop seeing the little things. And mm-hmm. at first I was like, what the fuck does that mean? And then I thought, I get that now. Like, oh, he's right. That that's is, that's, true. It's, and it's a beautiful sentiment that, like, you can be home someplace. Mm-hmm. And that's when you stop noticing the little tiny details because you're just so used to being there. So um, we get one last song, uh, the song City of Dreams runs over the credits yes let's let's go to a clip because this is yeah this is a good one This is my favorite song on the album. Really? Yeah. Like it's, it's it, it, you know, it goes this people like us while wildlife. Okay. Uh, well, talk this, talk about it because this one this one doesn't really land for me. But so I'm I'm interested to hear like, your thoughts. This it really feels like David Burns trying to like write a central thesis for everything that just happened in the film, <laughs> and I think he kind of nails it. See, I I agree, but I'm just sort of like. Eh. It just didn't need to be said, but please, sorry, it, well, I, I interrupted. It, it hits me in kind of a, a philosophical sense, sort of, because like it gets it goes back to the thing that he said at the very beginning, which was you know first there were the dinosaurs, then there were the Native Americans, and then the white man came and then never left. Mm-hmm. And kind of, it's to me, it seems like what he's saying is like that's where we are now, and as awful as you know things ha- things were in the past. The fact that we're here now and that we're just trying to live is like a beautiful thing and we should cherish that. Okay. And it's as close as the film gets to like having kind of a religious moment. And I just, I don't know. I drove around today listening to that and thinking, you know, he's right. The city of dream. It's kind of like the whole idea of like a heaven on earth. Like this is the city of dreams. Okay. And we, we, it is what we make of it. Okay. And yeah. I will, I, I will take some literature. On, on your religion there okay so, <laughs> the church of burnology okay yeah. you've you've sold me on city of dreams and and then the very last thing we see in the film like after the all the end credits i noticed this i never saw this before but it's like a tiny little thing at the bottom of the credits and it just says in all caps if you can think of it it exists somewhere whoa whoa blow your mind but like all these stories that we just saw in the film they had to come from somewhere and whether they're true is kind of beyond beside the point. Like somebody came up with that at some point it exists in someone's mind. Yeah. Well, uh, I think I've told this story before. Um, my dad, when he got out of college applied a bunch of places, but among those places he applied to a, um, a textbook company in Oklahoma city okay, and a tabloid in Florida. And the textbook company in Oklahoma City called him first. That's how I met oh, my mom. Oh. Like, that's what, like, led him to meeting my mom and to me being on this podcast. Uh, but my dad could have, like, written for tabloids, which would have been amazing. I'm sort of like, I would have dis- I would have not existed, but that would have been cool. Yeah. I mean, your dad could have inadvertently written t- uh, true stories, too. Yeah. We don't know. So, uh, or I guess true stories, because he moved to Oklahoma in... Uh, I guess the late seventies, early eighties. I, yeah. I was born in nineteen eighty three, so Yeah, so that that oh wow. I know. 
that's like a like a sliding doors kind of thing where like two versions of your dad <laughs> one marries his wife and the other writes true stories yes um the only and like i never really like read tabloids but um ian's mom dated a guy who his whole bathroom was like wallpapered with them which i was always the coolest thing oh my god like old school ones like bat boy oh yeah okay yeah yeah not like not like the thing is like tabloids have now been taken over by the wrong kind of people Mm -hmm. because now it's like q adjacent it's no longer like princess diana like has love child with chewbacca like we're gonna raise (laughs) this baby on exxon 12 Mm -hmm. yeah or i remember when i was a kid like the late 90s the headlines were always like really weird messed up like biblical stuff like satan's face in the clouds and in yeah. the world next week and as a kid who's like grows up very southern baptist that's like actually genuinely scary really yeah no kidding i i had a, i don't know i have a strange relationship with that interesting but okay the, so whenever i hear of like tabloid storytelling it tabloid newspapers it's always stuff like that and not necessarily bat boy yeah no this was um i feel like i missed out yeah more like uh my dad actually bought Ian a book of Bat Boy stories, like all the like front pages <laughs> with Bat Boy. Wow. So, um, and I think honestly, like nine eleven kind of killed the uh, the tabloid, the fun tabloid mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. and also the death of newspapers. But we're not getting like Bigfoot and you know space aliens and things like that now. It's just fucking PizzaGate shit. For idiots. Yeah, like, I just want to read a story about how Bigfoot works at Fort Knox. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> well, we got we got very far afield of, like, a philosophical story about America, you know? <laughs> I think, actually, we probably nailed it. Fair enough. Yes, it's a, it's a film to inspire conversations. But yes, that's, a, that's true stories. So, uh, Joe, what are we doing next week? Well, Libby, since it's your birthday coming up, we got a little bit of a surprise for you. Oh, that's so sweet. What, mm-hmm. what is it? Well, I know you love Steely Dan. Oh, I do. I love Steely Dan. So I went and I found a a soundtrack that really I think is you're going to just you're absolutely going to love it. Oh, uh, are we doing what? Like FM or Bright Lights Big City? Ooh, no, but that would have been a good idea. No, we're doing uh, me, myself and Irene next week. Like. The Fairly Brothers movie? Yeah, the Jim Carrey one. Is Steely Dan in that? No, but their songs are. It's a whole album of Steely Dan covers. Are they cool? Yeah, your your favorite and mine, Smash Mouth, covers you know one of their big hits, Do It Again. <sighs> the thought, it's a thought that counts. I would take it back, but I lost the receipt already. Oh, okay. Well, and th- I, I appreciate that you thought of me. <laughs> I try. You know I try. <laughs> but no, next week is we're, we're picking back up with our Fairly Brothers series with me, myself, and Irene. Oh, boy. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to happen, whether <laughs> I look forward to it or not. Someone out there is probably mad that we never did Kingpin, but you know what? Eh. We're never doing Kingpin. Get over it. <laughs> so, Libby, uh, where can our listeners find you on the internet? 
You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday, or you can uh, wrap up season six at the Shattered Shield with us. Uh, one more season to go. Can't believe we're Ooh, almost wow. done with it. Joe, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat or on the on the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps. We haven't done an actual episode in a couple of months, but we just dropped an episode where we decided to switch gears and start reviewing episodes of The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh, that's great. Uh, we actually recorded it a year ago and we just said, well, we're not doing anything. Let's just drop this now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's fun. We enjoy it. So, that's yeah, go check cool. that out. And if you want to yell at us about anything we said tonight, uh, you can get at us on Twitter at OST Party or on uh, you can email us at OSTPartyPod at gmail.com. Well, yeah, that's going to do it for the OST Party. So I am Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Take the ride.